and welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, former headmaster at Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Allison Tuttle, a wife and mother and the director of the Palatine Institute. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on A Court of Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hi, welcome back to A Quarter Three Strands. This is uh, Ron Young, and I'm, although Allison is not here with me, I am not alone. I have with us uh, Nick Ellis. He is the founder of Christian Halls International. Hopefully, um, if you have not heard of this ministry, um, you will hear about it very soon. It'll, uh, I think, spread like uh, wildfire. It's an amazing idea. Uh, I will say that in my time uh, working in classical K through 12 education, I had this dream of having a junior college, a Christian junior college in which students can study and have spiritual formation happening, uh, be able to get through two years of uh, general eds, but at a, a rigorous education and be debt free. And uh, I realized how hard it was to do this and then one of the elders at our church uh, heard Nick Ellis on a podcast and said, Ron, you got to hear this guy. And uh, I think the day that I heard it, I reached out to him and he reached out quickly and, and we've had conversations and um, uh, we'll be, Palatine Institute will be opening a couple halls here in the, the 2004, um, 2005 school year, uh, one in Green Bay, one down in the Fox Valley. Um, and, and it's exciting, and I'm taking on a role as a field rep for them um, here in Wisconsin, and uh, and so I'm excited about this, and that's why I thought I got to get I got to get Nick on because it is an amazing thing. So let's start with um, Nick. Who are you? Where's, what's your background? And then tell us how this evolved. Yeah, well, it's great to be on podcast. Thanks, Ron. And it's been I can tell you that when you called me. Uh, that first time, I just thought, this is the kind of guy we're looking for. <laughs> you know, just uh, a vision for uh, local formation and self-governance. And I, I say that I'm ostensibly in education. Um, and we are. We, we want quality educational outcomes, outputs. But I'm actually more in, in family-based community design. Like, how do you return governance to local communities of faith? And how do you strip away the, the colonization of our communities and families that has happened um, through just a, a misplaced um, sense of, of sovereignty, you know, within the family and, and the community of faith? So that, that, that really is what's going to drive everything that I'm talking about. You know, we could talk about civic programs or whatever, but. Well, I'll tell you, just in that brief intro, Nick, I think my entire audience is going, oh, that's why Ron called him. <laughs> it's exactly the same. I I, I just need, um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you continue. I just, it just, the, the, the alignment is so amazing. Yeah. And that's, that's true, not just in education, that's true in our businesses. It's true in, you know, you name it. It's like Nehemiah coming back to Jerusalem, you know, surveying the walls of the self-governing city and saying everything's broken down <laughs> you know civics and you know um you know everything you know civics and the arts and sports and music and education so this is one piece of the puzzle that we're trying to work on yeah uh, but it because it's so dedicated to human formation it, it kind of impacts a lot of these other areas and so just from a background perspective um kind of a mutt uh, from a 
from a religious perspective. My mom is a uh, Montana, northern Montana, southern Alberta, Mennonite farm girl, uh, large-scale ranching operations up in Montana. Um, long, long legacy of faithfulness in those communities. You know, there's been you know, preachers and ministers in that side of the family since, you know, the late 1500s. Um, and uh, so that, and, and I'm not Mennonite um, theologically, but you can take the Mennonite out of the colony, but you can't really take the colony. <laughs> wow. um, so there's a lot of cultural um, values when it comes to family, when it comes to multi-generational flourishing and a vision for how have communities been able to maintain faithfulness not just for one generation or two generations, but for for dozens of generations. Like, how is that vision even possible? And so that that is very much impacted um, kind of my family, who we are. My mom then met my dad, who is more of an academic dad, is a Nebraska farm boy who ended up. His dad was a professor of microbiology at the University of Nebraska. They met at Grace College of the Bible, in Omaha. Um, got married, knew they wanted to go on the mission field, deeply impacted by the um, kind of the Jim Elliott yeah. um, testimony. And so moved down to Dallas. We ended up in Brazil when I was 12. We moved to Brazil and uh, we've been there ever since. Um, 30 years now of faithful ministry in Brazil. Um, dad leading theological education and mom very much committed to our formation, which is now expanded into a large education ministry in Brazil. Um, Mom had the opportunity to send us off to boarding school, um, and she just looked at that and said, "No way, I'm going to send the kids to boarding right. school." Um, so she moved a, a crate full of classical books to North Brazil uh, to the Amazon and said, "Hey, your your childhood's going to be fishing peacock bass and uh, reading the great books. So congratulations." Yeah, I was all in, like from the from. That. From go, like from green light go, I was all in uh, with Brazil, with uh, the educational model that she wanted to push and um, just a really deep commitment to family-based formation. Um, and so you start to put all these things together and what, and what you end up having is you end up having somebody who uh, is deeply committed to the family of faith, um, convinced that... Um, you know, if we can do this in the sticks of North Brazil with some great books, there is no excuse. <laughs> you, you just, you know, there's trappings you can put on it, um, but you need to love your kids in the faith and teach them faithfully within the great tradition. And uh, you can form great humans. So that was a big part of our growing up. I then left Brazil to go to university. I uh, ended up at Union, Union University. I was actually up with you in Wisconsin for my first year, Wisconsin Wilderness Campus, which was in Hayward. Uh, love that community. 15 guys, 15 girls, basically everybody married each other except for me and another girl. Uh, but an amazing kind of re-entry year. And that kind of showed me that you could do a tremendous amount of formational work without the expensive infrastructural trapings of yeah. uh, the university. So you can kind of see this developing in my head. From there, uh, ended up at Union University, did uh, biblical language, linguistics, biblical studies, um, met my eventual wife who went off to Africa for a couple of years. And so I had some time to Tübingen and Stuttgart doing German theological studies, then Jerusalem for my Hebrew and Dead Sea Scrolls studies. Uh, that kind of got me into Jewish and, and Christian thought. Vancouver, British Columbia for first master's degree. And then Laura and I were married and we moved to Oxford, did my master's, my doctorate there in kind of early Christian studies and kind of Christian history um, uh, and uh, Cambridge for a bit. And so that ended up kind of putting me into an academic pathway, a, a kind of an elite academic pathway. And, um, you know, love that life, love living in Oxford, love teaching. I was a college uh, instructor of Greek, Hellenistic Greek at Wycliffe um, Hall and, um, that inserted me into this ecosystem where, you know, suddenly I'm with, you know, some tremendous talent and sitting in C.S. Lewis's old offices over at the Kilns or, you know, at Maudlin, you know, in small tutorial groups discussing, you know, dialectic, uh, presenting, you know, rhetoric, you know, all of that kind of 
that 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 entire educational ecosystem and, and basically light bulbs started going off in my head. Yeah. Like, you know, for my deep concern of localism, local formational communities, my growing antipathy toward the university structures, especially in North America. Um, and maybe here was a model that we could start to look at. And it wasn't a new model. It's the old model, <laughs> like going to the old, the old paths. Yes. Uh, and um, so as a result of that, 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 that ended up with me creating this organization, founding this organization, Christian Halls International, uh, intended initially for it to be international, you know, with Brazil um, as, a, as a focal point. We had already started Classical Press Brazil, which is licensing kind of all the kind of North American classical publishers, Veritas Press, great partner, Classical Conversations, uh, Canon Press, Apology. We began to license all that material, translate it and publish it in Brazil. That really kickstarted the Brazilian homeschool and classical school movement. Um, we now have um, about 400 micro campuses across Brazil kind of through that movement. And we were running into the wood chipper of the Brazilian Marxist, uh, liberal left European uh, university structures. They really you govern know, education in Brazil. Aren't those the American institutions too? We're, we're sucking on the same teats. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's poison in water. Um, yeah. So as a result, uh, created Christian Halls as a way of bringing higher education, you know, kind of post-secondary education is what I would probably say, because it's not just elite kind of university education, you know, trade schools, um, you know, community college, you know, uh, upper level elite education as well. All of that kind of falls into this space where increasingly many of our parents are comfortable self-governing up through about 16, 17, 18. And then suddenly like 19 happens and they're like, oh, I couldn't possibly. Like our community no longer has the, the wherewithal to form 19 year old humans. We've got to give them over to a secular state, you know? Yeah. And I just said, no, that's just, that's, that's insanity. You know, I'm just about ready to do something with this 18, 19 year old. They're just about ready to actually start to imprint on them. And then we hand them off to who? Right. I don't understand. Like, where's yeah. this impulse that's driving us to give over self-governance just because they graduate high school? Yeah. So that was a big part of it. I mean, practically speaking, what that looks like is we create local Oxford, Cambridge style tutorial groups in, and uh, we're looking for subject matter experts from the core basics, you know, your English compositions and your histories and your government classes and whatever. We can find those pretty much anywhere. Um, and then we start to specialize into different degrees. And we uh, were very fortunate to be able to partner with a couple different universities and seminaries to uh, teach and support their academic degree programs. So to be able to grant fully accredited, you know, top tier, you know, degrees, but in the service of not governing, but in the service of these local communities of faith. Yeah. And it, it took a, it was a very courageous move on the part of a, a number of our university presidents, presidents who were willing to say, we're going to give over governance of the formational task back to where it needs to be, which is the community of faith. And we're going to act in a support role to ensure that you have accreditation, coursework, you know, academic platforms, those kind of things. And I'll tell you that pivot, the willingness to pivot from a governance posture to a, uh, to a service posture. Uh, was the number one thing that, yeah. that had to happen. Um, but it also requires our local communities to uh, de-atrophy their self-governing muscles. Yeah. Because yeah. most are not willing. Most are not ready. Anyway, so that's that's the whole kind of background. We can dig, dig deeper into it. But as a result, we now have uh, campuses across Brazil. Uh, we started a partnership in East Africa. And then really COVID brought us back to the States. Uh, people began to call us and say, hey, this has been a great international missional program. But you know, we have some problems here at the North American university system. Uh, and I'll tell you, our supporters five, six years ago in the States, you know, our donors would say, this is a great idea. But my kids are going to go to tech. Right, right. And going to be Lambda Chi. And they're going to go to the football games. And so this isn't really for us. This is really for 
you know, kind of the international church. Um, and COVID was like the hand of God coming down and right. swapped those parents. And now that, you know, same people that would have told me that five years ago now are saying, I've got three kids in college. They're sitting at my, at my living room table. They couldn't go to campus because of COVID. Now I can see what they're studying. I'm paying 90 grand for the three of them to go to college. And it's gutting the spiritual, intellectual, and right. community life. Like his, I'm out. Uh, what do we do? You know. So that was that was why I ended up opening it up uh, an office back in the states, moving a team here, and starting to really think. Okay, who do we want to work with across the North American community? And so you kind of have to think about me as an uh, intellectual missionary coming right. to the states yeah. as a mission field in the intellectual wasteland. Yeah, <laughs> that swept across our nation. No. Well, I'll tell you, it is such a, a brilliant idea. I sat there. So this, you know, like I mentioned, an elder, you, you were on the Aaron Wren show, the podcaster. That's the one that one of the guys on our session listened to. And he knew that this was kind of where I was. And he said, you got to listen to this podcast. And, and, and so hearing you, I, I, it just, it was, um, it was like a lightning flash. Like, of course, like this is, I can't believe I didn't think of this. Like it, it, it's weird. And I think, Part of it is, um, I don't think there's enough people have been thinking about this kind of thing, and and then um, it's it's also it's also new, um, and the and the 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 hard part is you there takes some struggle. There's always the early uh, adapters will yeah, jump yeah. on board, um, but it takes a while before you know that the the rest of the bell curve comes over. And so I'm, I'm excited. I, I know, you know, I don't know how many students we'll, we'll get here in the next couple of years. Um, but I, I know that I'm in, I'm in it for the long haul. And I, I think it's, it's something that's just going to catch just kind of like classical Christian K through 12. Like it's, it, it's amazing how um, rapidly it's growing and spreading. And it, it says the, the fruits of it are, are made known. Um, I think it's going to be the same with this. The so let, let me ask you this: so the professor who's overseeing the, that's they're teaching and they're overseeing, I guess the the course. What's it? But in the Christian, they're located miles away. Tell us about the tutorials. What are what are the tutors doing with the students? Yeah, so the tutorial, and we run into a big language problem. You know, I've discussed this before. Yes, the the, the American ear and mind here tutor and thinks sixth grade remedial math when I was getting D's and I needed to make B's. That's what they hear when they right. tutor. And in the Oxbridge, the Oxford and Cambridge system, um, there is a university structure where everybody at Oxford is getting a degree from the University of Oxford. But these there's these 42 constituent colleges and permanent private halls around uh, Oxford or around Cambridge that are really uh, vestiges of the medieval system where they would create these cloisters basically to house the tutors, to basically to house these instructors. And so, you know, I was at Wycliffe Hall, which is a graduate Anglican theological seminary, right? And so the tutors there are competent to tutor and, and prepare you for to take the exam, or in my case, to write the dissertation that would be graded by the university professors at Oxford. So Marcus Bachmuel was my 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 doctor father, you know, my 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 doctoral supervisor. He was both the Dean Ireland professor, is the Dean Ireland professor at the University of Oxford, and also was my tutor and supervisor at college. And right. dividing those roles uh, has allowed a tremendous amount of kind of local governance in the college level that frankly most of our universities here in the states just can't um just can't support you know economically and so we took that model and we have our university professors that are credentialed by the university that's kind of their governance space you know they're the accrediting body um, we can either use their existing professors or we can go and find and help you know, recommended credential um, other faculty members as we as we find people who are credentialed. So that that is all within the university system. 
you know, there's a, there's a professor that's overseeing the grades and, uh, you know, all, all that stuff. Our job at Christian Halls is really to inhabit that Oxford College space, the college and, and permanent private hall space in the finite option in Cambridge, which means that the tutorial is the lifeblood of what we do. Right. That's, that's the space that we want to govern or not me govern. It's the space I want our communities to govern. Um, and so, um, the way that that happens is say you've got an 18 week semester and the kids are doing their readings and they're, you know, working on their assignments and they're, they've got, a, you know, four essays that, that semester that they're going to have to work on. Um, what we need to do is we need to find, say that they're, say that they're studying, uh, you know, great books. We need to find somebody in the community that can sit with those kids once a week and lead a Socratic discussion and ask the big questions. They don't have the responsibility of all the data transfer. They don't have to sit there and just data dump and lecture and whatever. But we need to create a virtuous formational ecosystem that is both as in, is it concerned about the virtue formation of these kids in the, the, the grammar that they're working with, the dialectically, the way that they're engaging in, in logic and reason and looking at these different things, and then the ability of presenting. I mean, the, the, right. the, the rhetorical power of these groups is just astonishing because now you have, you know, three, four, five, uh, you know, college students in a, in a room together being guided by a tutor and the tutor is asking the question. These students are responsible to engage and answer those questions yeah. and to then argue for their positions. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, in a 200 person classroom at Texas A&M, you have no ability to do at least two of those. You know, you right. have a very difficult time engaging in the kind of dialectical, you know, process of, you know, working through different positions. And you're going to have virtually no ability to, to engage in any kind of rhetorical, you know, engagement, you know. Uh, and so that small other tutorial. Than paper you write. Yeah, yeah, other than the paper. Yeah. That's right. And, and then in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a classroom of, you know, 30, 50, 100, 150, is anybody going to read that paper besides the graduate assistant? Yeah, right. No, 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 you're yeah. not. <laughs> and you might think that you will, but we've been in and continue to inhabit the university space. And there's just a broken, there's a fundamentally broken thing that's happened within North American academia, yeah. which is basically abandoned the virtue formational task. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. So, so this is this, one of the ways I, I talk about it is, you know, the, when, when you were in college, like I'll give myself an example and I, I go to, a, a, I'll go to a lecture. I, I may or may not pay attention. I, I may even skip. Um, my parents know that I did that from time to time. So I don't have to apologize again on that. But, uh, you know, um, you know, and then there's the readings and you kind of do a lot of times students are going to do what they can to get a de what they think to get a decent grade. And that's really what it's about. Um, any kind of dialogue about what they're learning is rare. They're just, they're just kind of, you know, and um, you, you want to make sure you memorize the names, dates, and places in that history class and be able to say something about it. it it's not. Um, and what happens then is in, in a university that that seems to be the normal, then, then the university is really about jumping through a hoop so you can get a piece of paper, so you can get a job or what, what have you. Yep. And the tutorial style, it's, it's more of um, the tutors is, are going to be able to, to understand. Do they know the grammar? Do they know the basics of it, the names, names, places? Do they know the concepts? Do they have an understanding of it? But then there's even this thing further as you have this Socratic dialogue. You're getting down to, well, what do you believe about it? Like what it, so that there's like, how does this information really affect me or my community or the church or the world or what have you? And it, it goes beyond that. And, and when students are able to do that, it's, it's not just producing, um, a, a person who knows things and understands things. It's also producing uh, a type of wisdom in which they're, they're, they're reflecting on it. They're, they're, they're having to formulate their own ideas, their own beliefs about these things. And, um, and, and so when you look at higher education or, or, or college education, 
it's it's not just to jump through a hoop to get a degree so you can have a job. It's really about that formation and the virtue formation that they become wise, they become prudent. They um, and and it's not just in. I, I think I was using history as that as, as an illustration, um, but the, but this goes for for the, the variety of subjects that they'll be learning, and and the best we can do is um, as I'm thinking of. Um, you know, Palatine Halls, that's what we're going to call the ones here. Um, really c- trying to cultivate a, a, an excellent community of tutors who are collaborating and talking about what's going on to be able to to bring what, what they're learning in other classes into the discussions even. Um, yeah. So so they're, they're going beyond what's just necessary to be able to turn in that paper. Yeah. But they're, they're really being formed by this. Well, and, and I think what we're interested in doing is is we're interested in forming a virtuous space that's not just there for the 19, 20, 21 year olds, but is there as, a, as an ongoing formational community for the tutors. Because I'll, I'll tell you that, that faculty life, especially in the modern era of adjunct professors having you know, received their PhD, now being shuffled into an online greater role is a deeply vicious space. <laughs> and yeah. uh, what we're trying to do is really create something more akin to like a martial arts dojo than a modern university. It's like, great, right. great. You know, we can provide dual credit instead of you going down to the local community college. You know, we can deal with the undergraduate stuff. You know, if you need a, a master's degree in classical Christian education, awesome. We've got great partners that you can, can provide provide that, you know, you want to work on your PhD, you know, here's, here's the PhD programs that we have. And so, you know, yellow belt, brown belt, black belt, well, what do you, what do you do when you get your brown belt, your black belt? You know, do you just stop? Do you just say, oh, I guess I'm done. Yeah. Well, no, dummy. <laughs> no, yeah. wow. not the vision. You know, you want to be part of that community. Now you're teaching, you know, now you're both practicing and training your arts, you know, keeping your mind sharp, engaging, growing as a human, you know, engaging in the formational process. And now there's a teaching re- responsibility because there is no such thing as a master without a student. Right. Right. Yep. I mean, by definition, you know, and yeah. so returning that to a vision of local formation, yeah. it's there just as much to create virtuous you know, tutors and, and instructors and mentors as it is, you know, it's, it's, it's a way to give back mastery and yeah. give back um, discipleship in the, in the virtue formational space. And so we have university pro- chaired uh, tenure track university professors that are coming to us to say, could I start a hall? Like I, I have lived my entire career and I've never been able to do this kind of work. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just a different, it's a, it's a community-based formational model that leverages on the trappings of accreditation and the other kind of cultural norms that we, that we, you know, value and use today. I don't know that'll be a lot around, but you know, while it's here, great, we'll use those things, but it's the outcome is, is fundamentally different in terms of what we're about. Um, so there's, there's the educational side, you know, there's the, the formal academic piece, which is super important. Like we, we, I'm not under undermining that at all. It's super important. We want extremely high quality outcomes. And indeed we have been seeing unbelievable outcomes, you know, especially when you hear kind of the status quo of what the, the work that students do today. Um, you know, the ability of uh, engaging in robust discussion, engaging in peer review, having your essays edited, ripped apart, rewritten, you know, yeah. and before you ever submit them to the university has provided just astonishing academic outcomes. Yeah. But there's something more about this than just the academics. You know, there, there, there is, uh, like I said earlier, we're ostensibly in education, but we're really in family-based community design. And what that means is um, there, there is a different vision of winning at life that we're, that we're presenting. Um, you know, the modern, the modern vision is, you know, great. You've had your kids until they're 18, 19, they graduate and you send them away. Somebody else takes over that role. And then there are, um, corporate entities very happy to gobble up 
your kids and use them for their for their benefit. And if that means that they move off and marry somebody in, you know, Phoenix, okay, that's just what we yep. do, you know, or Colorado, or Colorado, or wherever. You know, and so Indonesia or something after. <laughs> that's right. Oh, Sorry, that got personal. Sorry. <laughs> um, and I, I tongue in cheek, kind of describe the. Uh, the educational industrial complex today as Monsanto for education. <laughs> Here is a, uh, a corporate big box, uh, sterile, non-reproducible educational model that you can consume, but you can never plant. Yeah. And we're basically trying to do the equivalent of uh, certified organic. <laughs> For That's education, right. you know, small batch, homegrown, yeah. reproducible, and maybe having formed excellent humans that then stay and marry people in your community, dying with your grandkids at your feet may be a different vision of winning than what the yeah. world will. That's great. And I'm going to go a little further on that because I also see it as this community, like you mentioned localism. I'm, I'm, Love that. That's music to my ears. Um, and and what a difference it makes when young people, especially ones that are being formed in such a way, stay in a local community rather than leave and never come back. Yep. So um, I, you know, so from a, and I'm just going to just be very pragmatic here. Right. Um, but, you know, we're in a, um, the population bomb is, happening um or it's not an explosion it's an implosion right so i think 20 the year 2025 i think is the last year that um on average the american high school will graduate a normal class and then after that it's this pretty this drop off um because uh people haven't been having enough kids and um so the state of wisconsin is a net loser of its young people um more people leave after they graduate in part in part um, because people from the Midwest still are known for good work ethics. And, you know, when, when people are looking for uh, to hire people, they, they really, they see that they're from Wisconsin. They're going to be up on top of the pack because they have this understanding that they're probably going to get up in the morning and go to work no matter what. And they're going to do well and <laughs> yada, yada, yada. The, the issue is, is that we can't, we can't afford to be losing our kids anymore, mm-hmm. especially with this population. But if we want to thrive, um, if, if the community wants to thrive, we, we need to keep our kids local. And most local kids are the ones that aren't doing, you know, considered aren't really doing well. And, and we need to reverse that idea. Like this is an, an, a tremendous opportunity for students to grow and to do well and to be vested in the community. Um, I, I like, I love the idea of our, of our students working, you know, being, yeah. staying at home, working and taking classes and being part of the hall. So now when we're talking about things that they're not, uh, so I'm going to back this up a little bit. There's a great need for cloistering for certain things. Like I think being away at seminary for three years was awesome way to, to form. I, I didn't go off to seminary until I was like, you know, late twenties. I'd had some life experience and, and, and done that. Uh, but to cloister 18 year olds, <laughs> you know, to remove them from real life, um, for four years, it, it's, it's produced, um, this idea of, uh, of being that young is just to party really. But if they're, but if they're here and they're, they're, Amongst people, family, people of all ages, uh, working, um, it they're going to have a different view on life, and then to to work on that formation in that setting is going to be it, it's it's going to be amazing, I think, and and the effect it'll have on our local community having those kinds of students, those kind of young men and women. Um, is going to be a, a, a tremendous benefit. 
Yeah, you start to look at the kind of the demographic guts of this, and you you it's almost like you you know you red pill and you're like, what? How did we? How are we convinced? How are we convinced to take what eighty percent, seventy five percent of our best and our brightest, and root them out of our communities? Yeah. Send them to people that don't like our communities or our yep. faith. Yeah. And no I remember distinctively walking into a ostensibly very conservative state school here in Texas. You know, I was a junior, went to visit some friends, walked into kind of a quad dorm area and, you know, for breakfast. And, you know, five 19-year-old young Christian men with five 19-year-old girls that had just spent the night. And just the 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 babble, <laughs> the right. Babylon that had just happened to those kids, yeah. you know, taken out of conservative Christian homes, thrust into an environment where suddenly wisdom is completely absent from the conversation. And so it's not just the absence of all of the productive stuff that you're mentioning. It's the presence of everything that is completely opposite of wisdom information. And how did we get convinced that this was okay? You know, and so there is a renormativizing that we have to go through. There's a, there's, you know, they say red pilling. <laughs> uh, some people would say black pilling that you look at this and you're like, this is, this is death. This is, this is the death of the soul. And it's definitely the death of our communities. And I go back to Nebraska and Montana in our rural communities and this is where you see the utter devastation that it happens. Yeah. It's like, if you don't leave, you're a loser. Right. And that's, that's the narrative. And now you have the death of communities that are basically just completely dominated by, by meth or corporate farms, of yeah. which there's no ownership. Anyways, I won't go off into my, in, into my rant on corporatism, but this is the impact of stripping away all of our people yeah. <clears throat> just as they're ready to, to kind of root and we're going to say, no, I'm going to put you in a pot over there for a bit. Yeah. You know, instead of rooting, instead of growing, you know, instead of maturing, I'm going to put you in a pot and put you there four years. And then we'll see where we want to transplant you based on our needs. And I, and I went off, right? I went off to Oxford. I went off to Cambridge. I'm not saying that, that's, that that is not an option. I just want that to be governed by people who love you and care about your soul as opposed to a recruiting officer <clears throat> who needs another human battery. Yeah. You know? And so it, it, it's, it's not so much about limiting the options as much as it is rooting and grounding the formational community. Right, right. So I, here's, a, here's a few things that have bothered me. <laughs> One is, um, I remembered uh, when my oldest son, who's uh, 29, um, national merit uh, scholar, we applied to all these different schools up here in the north um and and the the cost of even with ge these generous scholarships and things was still going to require tens of thousands of dollars in school loans um we thought you know there's places down south that you can get a full ride let's go down there and um as soon as we crossed the down in the, in the southern uh hemisphere or the, the southern parts of the United States. Um, a few things that I noticed. Any tour we did of a college in the North, we never encountered a married or engaged student. No, no university had married housing. In the South, they all did. And we met, you know, and we met um, engaged, you know, people who were engaged, you know, they were going to get married. At the, and, uh, and it was just such a contrast. Um, you know, and unfortunately, the the, the Northern cultures, I think are kind of creeping down South too. Um, now, now, you know, this has been several years. Uh, the, the average age, I think when my son was going off to college of getting married was somewhere in the mid twenties or late twenties or something like that. Now it's 30. The, the, the average age of a first marriage is 30 years old. Now here's the secret, everybody. 
um, as a former pastor and a current rolling elder. Um, and uh, so involved with church like heavily for decades now. The myth is, is that your a son or daughter goes off to college and they're just influenced by bad thoughts. That is true. But typically kids lose faith because they get into sin and they love their sin more than they, they do our Lord. God did not make us to wait till we're 30 to have sex. It almost inevitably when someone is, um, has discovered that they don't believe in God, it's usually because they're sleeping with their girlfriend or they're deconstructing their faith because they don't like the guilt of all the, from all their things that they've experienced and they love that more. And so they're trying to figure out either um, a more liberal kind of Christianity or an absence of faith altogether um, because they're trying to justify themselves rather than repenting and allowing God to do it. Um, if and, and then the question is, why are people waiting so long? Well, part of it is economic. When we, when we strap kids with tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt and we set them off to cities to be educated, big cities to be educated. And, you know, you can't, you can't even rent an apartment, let alone buy a house. Um, it, it's, uh, it's crazy. We're, we are, we have created a world where it is very, very difficult for young people to get married. That's our fault. And what are we doing about it? Have you, I, I still haven't heard the Republican platform because they've been doing it, talking about what are we going to do with young people? Like everything should be about six, you know, setting up the next generation to succeed. I hear nothing. Mm. Crickets. Crickets. Um, but here we are, the, we're the church, right? We should be taking the lead on this. What are we doing? Well, I think one of the things we could do is start working on higher education. Can we can we set up a system in which our kids can get um, the the tools necessary uh, to to live and to marry at a at a young age um, without all that debt? And the answer is yes, we can. Welcome to Christian Halls International. Yeah. Right. So part of part of this is is a fundamental change in the way we're thinking about the future and, and disciplining our kids. And when you go off to college and you're in this scene of unreality, because you're around all the young people who none of them are married and they're all just right. Then that becomes normative. But when you're at home, when you're with other, your local church, your local, right. That's normal life. Being married, having kids is, is normal life. That's right. And then, so you, you're, you're, you're orientated in that, that direction. And it, the economics of this are, are just, massive. it's not just the debt, although the debt is <laughs> catastrophic, but it's not just, the debt. it's also great. Now you've got off. Now you have to buy a house. Well, the idea historically that a young person would go off independently by themselves without the support and structure of, of their family and buy a house is just non-existent. Right. You know, that's a, it's a new phenomenon. And so, but because they've left, there is no way for them to stay in a multi-generational support structure. There is no way of, for them to tap into the family business. There is no way for them to build a small home on the family farm. Yeah. And so- the educational underpinnings of this have these rippling effects that actually create just economic and multi-generational chaos. Yep. And so, you know, by returning that one kind of smaller but foundational piece, which is, yeah, you're scared to offer like a community college class because you don't feel like you're competent. Here's the rippling effect of that atrophy. You know, for you to say, oh, I don't know how to do this anymore. Well, that is a, that is spiritual, uh, that is spiritual apathy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's spiritual atrophy because there is absolutely no reason that you, a godly, uh, you know, high school teacher or you, a successful businessman could not mentor and tutor a student far better 
than that recently graduated PhD lesbian at the local community college who's never actually run a business in her life. Right. But the, 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 the spiritual atrophy says, no, I don't know how to flex that muscle anymore. And so we need to retrain our community leaders. You know, yep. we need to retrain our church. And I think this is what's been interesting. We've been finding really five different community types that can start a Christian home pretty well. Um, you got your homeschool co-ops yep. who are like- They're already used to being weird. Let's move fast <laughs> and break stuff. Where let's we see it weird, let's go. You know, it's that mama bear, uh, you know, co-op leader who has been organizing people and parents for the last 15 years. Her kids are graduating and she's like, I can do this. This is great. I already know how to, how to set this thing up. It tends to be a little flaky because people come and go. There's not much structure, but man, they latch on and they, they're, they just run with it. Your classical schools are kind of one step up the uh, organizational ladder because they tend to be less flaky but they tend to be a little bit more bureaucratic and precious because they're like, our validation is that we send X number of students to this Ivy League school. Right. Yeah. So there's a pro there's some problems there, but there's really good talent in these new classical schools that are yeah. these, these classical Christian schools are training their tutors and their and their and their and their their teachers. And so to build a 13th grade, a 14th grade, an honors college program, a junior college program a trade school program that's infused with, you know, human formational gold. And now we can start to, you know, create good citizens and good humans that are, you know, making bank in the trades. I mean, the trades are the future. I, I was blown away when I discovered that there wasn't a single faith-based trade school in the state of Texas. Well, wow. we have, uh, we have abandoned our birthright in this space. Um, and we've abdicated it to a godless state. Um, and so, you know, to reinsert the kind of the classical schools into the skilled trade formational space has just been amazing. And, to, and now we are working with various different universities and organizations to bring out, I think we've got welding, plumbing, electrical, HVAC, general contracting, you know, and so that's a huge need. Um, the, the third group would be Kind of our business leaders who are saying, let me build a practicum, let me build an apprenticeship program in my business and keep my talent here. And they're they're actually the best at this. Like they they see the you know the human resource catastrophe that's happened. And they're saying, let me pay for your school. Just stay with me. I'll teach you, provide the the, the economics of it, you know, and you know, maybe spin off a franchise of what I do. You know, there's all sorts of conversations happening there. Tragically, the church is probably the weakest of all of our client types here in North America. Internationally, our churches just run with this. They know that they have a human formational calling uh, that goes beyond um, expository preaching. Yeah. And hey, expository preaching is great. We love that. Yeah. But there is a human formational component that is the sphere of the church and the family. Um, and our North American churches, by and large, have advocated that space. Well, we're Gnostic. Um, I, I think um, I, it'll be interesting, you know, a thousand years from now when they're talking about church history um, and how separate the physical world is from the spiritual world in most American churches. Um, and, uh, you know, I, <laughs> at, at church we, we sing songs. I, I, I complained about it. I got to make a more formal complaint, but, um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, father, let your will be done, um, on earth as in heaven. And then the next line says right here in my heart. And then it goes on. Okay. So what's this telling the people in the pew that the kingdom of God is just something in your heart. Like that's what God, that's why Jesus taught us to pray that prayer that we, we would, um, that his, king, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, but only in our heart or something like that. It just, it drives me nuts. Um, why wouldn't his will be done in, in uh, higher education? Why wouldn't his will be done in business or in making homes and HVAC and welding? And it, yeah, it's, it, it encompasses everything. Anywho. Yep. Um, yep. And this is, this is a problem with the, uh, 
the American church? Yep. Well, what it will require is for, first of all, our pastors to recognize that human formation is not just about, you know, what happens between 930 and, you know, 12 on a Sunday. Yeah. So that, that's, that's critical. But I, I really, I want to come back to this multi-generational thing. Uh, I think that that is um, the hardest part about the North American uh, side of this. I'll tell you who who is doing really, really well at this. It's our immigrant families. Yeah. It's my Hispanic trade community in Texas. It's my Haitian family and, you know, community in, in Florida. Um, because grandpa and grandma are at the home. They're running a family business. And they look at this and they just say, oh my goodness, give it, give it to us. Like we know what to do with it. Like we've got the people, we've got the human capital, we've got the deployment options back into the business. We, we, we're terrified of what the state is going to do to our kids and our family and our grandkids. Give it to us, we know what to do. It is my suburban, Protestant, white uh, mother who is like, I have absolutely no idea what to do with this. We, we don't have family. We don't, we found a church that we shopped for, but we have no vision for multi-generational stuff. We send our kids away because frankly, we don't like the product when they're 18. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so the, the, this is, this is the problem. And if we don't deal with the need for kind of local multi-generational uh, solvency in the American church, then this yeah. is going to be mandate. Yep. You know, it's going to solve some debt problems. You know, it's going to do some of that stuff, but it's not actually going to solve the underlying, you know, formational problem. So yeah. that that's where I, you know, I don't know if that's my problem to solve. I'm solving for part of the different problem, but that is, that's where uh, we need to bring our business leaders and our churches and our, you know, ruling elders and our families and our family elders, you know, and the education component together and say, this is now a collaborative backbone space, you know, collaborative impact framework that we have to work in because Christian Halls is not going to solve the spiritual problem of abandoning, you know, our families to bail. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I, I hear you. Um, so if my children are listening to this, you all need to move back to Grim. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it, Nick, it's, it's, it's awesome telling, um, you know, listening to the, um, our kids and, and talking and, you know, they're, they're trying to find where they're going to fit and, you know, career wise or, or whatever, but they, they have all talked about wanting to live in the same town. Like that's the goal. And, um, I love that. I don't think it's going to be Wisconsin because of the, the winters, but, um, <laughs> and, uh, but, um, but yeah, that, that vision of, of, uh, multi-generation is, is, um, it is, it is key. Um, yeah. and I, I just, the, 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 the need that, um, our world has for belonging and trying to find it outside of their family is, has not been good. Um, you know, most of, most of uh, popular culture is all about trying to separate one generation from another. And, uh, it's, it's, it's horrible, but, um, yeah, I'm, yep. I, I can't wait to get the halls going here in, in, uh, Northeast Wisconsin, um, and, and around. And I will say, um, if you're listening to the podcast and you have a desire to get one started, um, please contact me, um, you know, give, shoot me an email, uh, reach out. And I'd love to have a conversation. If you're outside of the state of, we're outside of the Midwest or what have you, I can get you in touch with the right people. Um, cause it's, it's the time to build. Um, it really is. And, yep. uh, yeah. And I would, I would say that, you know, we, we find that there are different personalities and profiles that we need, you know, for this work. Um, the core of what we do is the tutorial, you know, the, 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 the ability for somebody to come in and um, guide students through the grammar and the dialectic and the rhetorical muscles that are necessary, not, not to necessarily, you know, run the class, although we're constantly looking for professors um, and we're looking to hire a contractor. 
professors. And we have tutors that are professors, you know, but really the, 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 the tutorial space is kind of our core work. Um, there is a challenge though, because I have lots of tutors that come to me to say, I'm going to do this, you know, send me students. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there is an organizational muscle as well, right. uh, to assemble and to structure. Um, and this is why, you know, with our classical schools, why we've had great success with our classical schools, because they already have aggregated their tutors together. Um, they have good organizational structure. And now they're looking and saying, you know, where do we send our students to continue to study in this method? Right. You know, I mean, Tory, yeah, it's expensive. Great school, Tory Honors Program. Love those guys. Um, Hillsdale, you know, that they had a 14% acceptance rate this year. Yeah. You know. I mean, St. John has basically collapsed um, on itself, you know, with into into or you know into its own rubble. Uh, I mean, there, there's a couple different colleges out there, but most of them are either incredibly expensive yep. or not. Yeah, and so we even to, shout out to Providence Christian College because they they do a good job at this as well. Yeah, and working with the right colleges is really significant for us. You know, yeah. so we could, for example build a 13th, 14th grade, you know, junior college, classical college onto an existing classical school. Because you already have the tutors. You already know what to do. We're just going to layer in your English comp, your world civ, your US government, your great books, all those kind of programs. And maybe they stay and knock off their entire bachelor's or they can teach a master's degree or whatever. Or maybe they transfer out and go to Providence, right. you know, um, or those, those other kind of schools. So, um, if yeah, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you're thinking, man, how do we do this? Um, the 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 trick is to get ignition. <laughs> it's like we were we're in trail life, uh, like my boys are in trail life, and we had like a all night night ops thing where the kids had to run around and do all these kind of night vision things. Part of it was coming to me, and I was running fire station, and so you know all these boys. I think I had like nine groups that came through, and they stacked up there. Kindling and they stacked up their little bigger logs and then their big logs. They're all ready to go. Not a single one of those groups got a spark going. Not a single one. <laughs> they all ran out of time. They never made a fire. <laughs> oh, no. And so what we're finding is that uh, you know we can provide a lot of the fuel. We can provide a lot of the academics and that kind of stuff. But to get that first ignition, that spark, right? You know is a matter of saying, I'm just going to offer one class uh, yeah. instead of the secularist, godless, you know, U.S. government class or English comp class that they're taking at the local community college. We're going to do an interrupt. We're going to do that one class. And I, and, and I know how to do this, you know, and yeah. I know how to do this, this program. It's getting that ignition and it's organizing and saying, this is our vision. This is what we want to build. And then you can stack on as many logs as you want. You want to offer a PhD from, you know, Union School of Theology in, in England. Awesome. We got that, you know, but getting that initial spark to start, it's almost like showing up at the gym for the first time. Like, I yeah. don't know how to pull that part. Out. I don't know how to do it. We, we can train you how to do that. You know, so that's, that is where I think that at this early stage, because we're super early, right? Yes. I mean, people in North America, people look at me when I talk about this stuff, like I have two heads. You know, they're like, just don't, it sounds amazing, but it sounds like you're talking about Narnia. You know, yes. it sounds like you're talking about a different world here. Um, is that, is that bad? <laughs> yeah. Do you like, then? no, let's, yeah. let's, but they that's, just don't know how to cross the, cross the bridge. And so. Sounds on the move, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I would just encourage you, you know, just listening Nick, uh, what's Chesterton's quote, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Mm. <laughs> in other words, if, if, if it's worth doing, don't worry about it being like perfect. Right. You take those steps forward and get, just get that spark going and mm. it'll improve, you know? And I know one of the things that, um, kind of being in this now in this, uh, field rep world and, you know, trying to, we're working on systems and, and other things. I mean, one of our, our, uh, main goals is, is going to be helping support and train, you know, tutors and, yep. you know, and we want to keep it local, right? We're not going to 
maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but we, we don't want to force, you know, your, everyone to be the same, you know, each, each hall would, would have its uniqueness, but, um, I, it's, it's worth doing and, um, there'll, there'll be support to help make it better and, and, and become excellent. So. That's right. And, and you're exactly right. We're not building a franchise here. Like we don't own these halls to be clear. Like we want independent permanent private halls that are in these communities that are self-governing and locally owned and operated. I mean, that's, that's where that's because here in 50, a hundred, 150, 200 years, you know, CHI, the organization is likely gone and dead. Right. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying in the, in the life cycle that we have with this organization, we're trying to design and, and, and build new muscles for our communities. So that in 200 years, when somebody walks into, you know, Green Bay, they say, there is something different about the way you think about human formation. Where we need, somebody needs to write a PhD thesis on what, what happened, you know, <laughs> 200 years ago that restructured, you know, how we think about human formation in our community. That's, that's what we care about, right? Yeah. And that is going to look radically different in Green Bay than it does in, uh, in a North American Indian reservation in Western Montana. Right. You know, and everyone or a Hispanic trade community in Midland, Texas. Um, Those, those, those have to be, you know, self-governing and differentiated based on the human capital that's at the table, the cultural expressions and just the economics of what's going on. Um, So don't be afraid to say, well, I have to, I have to, you know, I have to build this. Well, we'll help you. You know, we're not going to dangle you out there. You know, we love that kind of work. But if you don't take governance, self-governance and do it, nobody's going to do it because I'm not going to do it. for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, you know, his, historically, right. The, when you look at the Protestant Reformation, um, you know, the seeds of it started uh, hundreds of years before when the Brethren for the Common Life, are you familiar with, with this group, the so they were, uh, um, they were lay people, meaning they weren't clergy, um, but they adapted a lot of the um, prayer life of uh, monasteries. They, they kind of had this shared, that's the idea of shared life, a community. And in these communities, they started um, uh, what, what are now, what, were, what ended up becoming uh, Latin schools, where these, uh, these families, um, started schools to educate their children, um, those Latin schools, every single one of the reformers, um, were educated in a Latin school, a hundred, a couple hundred years later. And, uh, with the exception of John Calvin, but his tutor was from a, a Latin school. So they're all connected. And, and I know even Calvin wrote to the brethren of the common life about some, or was that Luther? But anyway, it, it was, um, I look at some of the activities we're doing and, and try to get these things and getting these things going as, um, seeds of something that God is going to be using, um, whether it's in our lifetime or our great grandchildren's lifetime, I don't know. Um, but it's worth, it's worth doing. Um, yeah. it's better. worth doing. Yeah. Well, I know that the Lord is, um, you know, I, I loved ac- academia. I love teaching. I love the community of it. Um, but uh, I am looking forward to spend the rest of my life uh, designing this space because yeah. the, the structures that we have in place right now are old wineskins. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. you know, I, I think it is worth doing. And we need co- co-belligerents that want to come alongside yes. and yeah. uh, to that with us, you know. So but this is great. It's great, great to talk with, with you, Ron, and great to engage with this community um, and uh, can't wait to see what happens in the Northern Wisconsin area. Oh, I am. I'm very excited. I, and I've got, um, I've got several meetings lined up with folks all over the state and um, working on trying to get an inner city one huh. beginning in, in Milwaukee, Cool, um, which would be awesome. I, because, because it's, you know, they'll be different no matter what, you know, the one in Milwaukee would be vastly different from one in, you know, Wausau or Green Bay. Um, but, but um, it's adaptable. So, yep. Yep. Anyway, 
Nick, thank you very much. I am so excited about the future uh, of these things. And um, yeah, God bless you. Thank you. God bless you too.